This is Coda Radio, episode 259 for June 1st, 2017. Welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Scale Your Code. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us for the first time ever... Wait, what? Oh, for... for Oh, oh, he's always been... Our, it's Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Hello, Mr. Fisher. I was just getting a little correction. Apparently, you've been on the show before. Uh, I I thought our co-host was Jar Jar Binks. Um, so, hey, Mike. I mean, gosh, yeah. it's really great to talk to you. Welcome to the show. I'm because this Jar Jar guy has not been working out. I be, I got to well, be honest with you. Well, well, Jar Jar is uh, is having some problems today. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's you know he, Memorial Day or Memorial Week for Jar Jar is always particularly rough. It's rough. You know, mm, and I can, it is. I can tell you, yeah. I can tell when Jar Jar has been drinking because I just get the craziest telegram messages from Jar Jar Binks. Just the craziest. craziest. Misa, so sorry. <laughs> Misa didn't know. So how are you feeling uh, about Thursdays? So we're doing Coda Radio on Thursdays now instead of Mondays, which is one of the biggest changes I think we've ever done to the show. I know that sounds stupid, but if you think about it, like it is a huge change. It's always been a Monday show. It's always been a Monday show. You know, I, I kind of like it. Um... I sort of like that we let the week's news build up a little yeah, bit and then yeah. we do it. Rather so than I was, time. you know, I was just thinking about that. I was just thinking about like next week because yeah, uh, it's yeah. yeah, it's W Dub, it's W Dub DC, and it's on Monday. And uh, normally we'd be like, I don't know, we would normally just like blow a whole show and maybe do like a live event or something like that. But and, but we've seen where that goes in the past. And so I yeah. like this new setup where essentially we can let all of the uh, marketing buzz and stuff sort of sort of get out there and we can sit back on Thursday now and wait for some actual analysis to give us some time to think about this stuff and just talk about the stuff that actually matters instead of just covering everything, which I think wow. is going to be way better for the show. I think it is too. And if there's an actual beta that I can install, I can actually do that, right? Rather oh, yeah, than... they do that now where you can talk about yeah. it and stuff like that. Um, yep. Yeah, so that'll probably be a, a predominant topic next week, but it might not be the main topic like a, to- like a tip or it might not be the only topic like it would have been in the past. Uh, I had a co- I had a follow up email. Remember, you and I were uh, were talking about setting up a, like a Mac as like a Linux workstation replacement, which is crazy talk. But it was something that had crossed my mind because we have this Mac Pro, and uh, I was like, okay, well, if I wanted to make instead of making Linux more like Mac OS, how do I make Mac OS more like Linux? And I'm talking, of course, about like the interface. And so I got like a drop down terminal. And I got those kinds of things that work pretty good. And I set up Homebrew on the Mac just to try that out to see what having a package manager is like. It turns out it's great. But then you and I were sort of joking around like, what the hell would you ever use Homebrew on Linux for? I see it runs on Linux, but what the hell would you ever use that for? Why would you want Homebrew on GNU slash Linux when you got good old apt and you got good old yum and all that stuff? Well, Jason wrote in with a little bit of feedback. Uh, He says, I'll tell you why I use Homebrew on Linux to get newer apps on stable bases like CentOS or an Ubuntu LTS that's getting old, which typically don't update app versions until the next release. It's a, it's a lower level of friction than hunting down PPAs and backports. 
<laughs> I didn't think about that. But, you know, if you're setting up a nice infrastructure for a client and they want to use CentOS, Mike, you might use Homebrew to get some of the stuff that's a little more current. And here we were making fun of it. You know, yeah, that's that's actually really funny. I, I you know, I'm kind of an Ubuntu baby, right? So that's, <laughs> that's just not a problem for me. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, you know, if you get like an old, if you get like an old LTS, like you're coming in towards the end of that LTS's life cycle, getting like modern uh, Nginx or PHP, which I know you love, or Ruby, like it gets it gets like you got to you got to really go through some twists because it's not just like the packages themselves, but it's also it's sometimes some of the libraries and whatnot. So brew could take an old LTS system that you've deployed years ago and give you some current software. That might be the thing. That might be the thing, Mike. That's the thing to look for. Uh, he also says that I believe Gen 2 and NetBSD's package managers have tried to bring the same thing to Linux distributions as well, but I haven't had much luck with it. And I haven't taken the whole Mac workstation experiment any farther. That was that was the as much as I did. I've I've been busy uh, doing some hardware review. I got a new piece of hardware in that I'm going to be doing a review of soon. So that's what Ooh, I've been. Ooh, you tell me what kind of hardware, baby? Well, it's a it's an all in one. It's sort of like an iMac killer. Um, that's all I'll say for right now. Oh, it's not from Microsoft, is it? No, no, no. It's not the no. It's not the studio. But like, uh, you know how like the rumor is, is there's going to be like a pro workstation, like an iMac with like Xeons or something. I, 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 well, this is a workstation that already has Xeons and uh, stuff like that. So I've been like, all right, well, let's let's see what this thing can do. Boom. All right. So, Mr. Dominic, we have so many things to talk about today. Um, now. We're not here to talk about homebrew, but we maybe could spend a little time talking about Swift and Swift Playground. So why don't I clear a little room? Why don't we make a why, why don't we make a little room? I got a little public service announcement. I just want to cover real quick um, because I want to extend an invitation to the Coda Radio audience. If uh, you listen to Coda Radio and you are in the Pacific Northwest area around the Fourth of July, we are going to have ourselves a little. Good old-fashioned party and barbecue here at the Jupiter Broadcasting Studios. It's really to celebrate episode 200 of Linux Unplugged. But anybody's welcome. So we'll have more information soon, probably at meetup.com slash Broadcasting. But essentially, noon Pacific, in the JB Studios on the 4th of July, anybody is welcome to come in and I will barbecue for you. So, of course, I, I assume you'll be here, Mr. Dominic, obviously. Um, no. You travel now. That's what you, that's one of your things is you're a big traveler. I, I will be south of the Mason-Dixon, in fact. In fact, you have, yeah, you have like big travel coming up, don't you? I have permanent travel coming up. What do you mean permanent? You're moving? I am leaving the Garden State. Shut, sh- wait, wait a minute. The Garden State? New Jersey's not the Garden State. It, it is the Garden State. No, 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 no. I believe the Garden of Eden is the Garden State. Everybody knows that. No. I mean, it's also the state <laughs> so, of... Wait a minute. You know, Hold on. You've done this before. You've done this. This is a move that has happened before in the Dominic history. What's different this time? We've got to go back. <laughs> got to go back, Marty. <laughs> We've got to go back, Marty. <laughs> well played, sir. Well played. Are you Are you feeling okay about this? Because I'll be honest right now, you sound a little down. You sound like you're not stoked tired. about it. i got to be honest. I'm a little tired. I'm a little sad Jar Jar didn't visit me. Are you a little uh, sad about moving? No, I'm I'm pretty happy. You know, I my friend Jim is having a difficult time right now. How could he not? Uh, he's going to be on TV next week. I'll be tuning in. And we're both a little down because we don't think it matters because of uh, a man named Paul and another man named Mitch. 
So you're uh, you're not going to give me any details, but I I find this yeah. fascinating that you're going back to Florida. And you're I gonna, am. So you're moving the house, the homestead, and the business. Are you going to like? So are you actually going to move the business address? So the house that I live in is actually being sold. Uh, there is a signed deal. Wow! Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, and I'm relocating to Plant City, Florida. Actually, Plant City. Plant City. Yep. And you're moving the business too, like Buccaneer IO is going to be based out of there. Eventually, yeah, uh, because yeah. It, because of the time of the year, it's actually hard. Sure, yeah, it's to, not like something you got to do right away either. Well, it's something you want to do opening of the new year, right? Because New mm-hmm. Jersey is much more. So we're um, looking at a population of thirty four thousand. Uh, yep, that's interesting. Interesting. It's a very rural. It's um, area code eight one three. That's uh, that's good. Wow! For any uh, anybody who wants to show up at my house with a PHP book, please. So, uh, holy shit! Are you have you looked at the uh, at the weather? I mean, damn, that's actually not bad. It looks like a high of hundred and two, but yep. it gets, yeah, I guess that's not too bad. Why? Why? Why Florida? Is it family? It's family, isn't it? It's family. It's a uh, cost of living. Yeah. Um, yep. Yep. I'm going from a relatively small house to a relatively big house. With an in-ground pool. That Ooh, is really, screaming. dude? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So you've already found a place. Oh, yeah. No, I already did that. Oh, wow. In fact, wow. I got summoned for jury duty and had to call the court and be like, yeah, so I will not be a resident of the state at this time. So wow. I cannot serve wow. the jury. Wow. So you've already found a place and your place is sold. Like, that's that's sort of best case scenario. Yeah, it's 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 a done deal. In fact, I'm going to be – have you ever heard of the auto train? Mm, the auto train no i don't think so is, it that, is, a is that some train. crazy east coast thing well I, I think they have it all over right it's from amtrak no 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 uh, you drive your car into the train what what hold on hold on yeah oh, dude we do not have this on the west coast you i'm look, i'm googling it right now man no i no we do not have this if we had this i would use the shit out of this you're telling me you can drive your car onto a train Right. I mean, so, depending on how yeah. cool the train is, sometimes it like runs from DC to Orlando. It doesn't. It is, okay. Yeah. It's not. Yeah, oh so my I, god. I pick it up in Virginia. Oh my I god. Virginia, and then they, uh, you got a sleeping car on the train, right? So me and the shut the, the hell up. You can get out of your car. You get it? Yeah. You get out of your car. You. you it's like a. It's like a. Almost it's like, like a cellar, right? It's like a ferry boat. Like we have ferries here, so you do. You drive uh, onto the boat, and then it drives you around. That's what we have. Right, and then everybody gets off. The attendants unload all the cars and. You know, now you're in Orlando. Holy crap, this is so neat. I really wish we had something like this. And it doesn't, it's not, it's not crazy expensive either. Like, I was expecting it to be, like, unbelievably expensive. Huh. No, it's not too bad. I mean, and, and it's a, a quick, you know, the train runs from the afternoon to the morning. So you get a sleeping car, you sleep, and you wake up, and you're at your destination. Can I ask you something, though? I mean, Please. I mean, and, and just, you know. I gotta ask, like, if you, if, 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 if you had no other considerations, like, if you could snap your fingers and a genie made everything work out, would you be moving to California? Would you be moving closer to Silicon Valley? Like, if you could just snap your fingers and the best thing for Buccaneer could happen, like, and no other consequences, family, financial, nothing, right? What would you do? So you're saying geographically, what mm-hmm, would I, mm-hmm. what would I pick? Um, I don't know that I would pick the valley. I don't. I don't think that's what I would do. I would be tempted by Seattle, though. Oh, really? 
Yeah, I would. <laughs> uh, uh, see, because I'm going. Uh, yeah, I I feel like I would I would probably go somewhere that just I just need good internet. That's where. That, but right. th- there's different types of businesses. Well, congratulations! It looks like it's not too floor, uh, far out from uh, Tampa, which nope. uh, which is nice. So, but you're not in Tampa, so that's a that's a that's a great spot, dude. And and I don't know how how long, but not too far from uh, Orlando either. Yeah, about an hour drive. That's great. So, it's uh, it's an it's going to be interesting. And that's Chris. happening soon, ish. Uh, June twenty sixth. Ooh, ooh, dude! Wow, yes. wow, wow! It's, and I'll be voting in a swing state. Which <laughs> oh yeah, all of a sudden it's always... gonna your vote's gonna matter now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know what I should do is I should plan my vacation for that week, and then we will just pre-record a coder, and you and I can both be AFK, and we'll have two totally different experiences. <laughs> yeah, now, where are you going? Well, I want to, I've been trying to get, uh, I've been trying to get Noah to meet up with me in Montana, um, and then mm. we'll do, like, a week's worth of shows from Montana, and uh, at, there's some hot springs down there that are just, oh, it's just the greatest, man. It's the greatest. I take the kids, take the family, we'll get there, we'll do some podcasting, because we'll, Montana is kind of like the halfway point between my house and his house. <laughs> so that was the idea. Uh, all right, well, we do actually have some uh, development stuff to get into. In fact, I'm really excited to talk about our next topic. I just want to make some room by starting to say thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Go over to DigitalOcean.com and use our promo code CODERDIGITAL. It's one word. Coder Digital. First, you create the account, then you apply it, and you get a ten dollars credit. And they have five dollars droplets, so you could try it out two months for free. Now, Digital Ocean, Digital Ocean is um, it's like it's sort of like magic in a bottle because at first I could tell you it's an easy way to spin up a Linux box on their great infrastructure or for, or a free BSD rig with SSD storage and 40 gigabit E connections, and KVM is the hypervisor, and a great dashboard. And that's sort of like the high-level pitch when you don't know anything about DigitalOcean. But once you become a DigitalOcean customer, I can tell you it's more about easy access to super powerful infrastructure whenever you need it for whatever project you're working on. And it becomes a fundamental game changer for your business, for yourself. Personally, if I was still just doing one or two things on it as a side or setting up things for your clients, it would have changed everything for me. But now that I own my own business, it gives me access to infrastructure that in the past I would have had to have been an HP, a Dell, a Microsoft, those kinds of companies to get access to. DigitalOcean.com. In fact, I was just talking with my buddy Joe from Linux Action News um, about their high-performance CPU droplets. Now, you can go get early access if you request it, and it's Oh, man. You want something that is just the, the peak of the experience, through throughput that you, you, you just can't even fathom. Maybe you're, it could be anything for, like, serving, like, display ads. But what I was telling Joe was, like, Joe, go create a couple droplets. Use the high CPU droplet and go render out all these videos. He's, he's rendering a whole back catalog of his podcasts into video. And it takes twice the time. <laughs> it takes twice the time of the episode to render it to video because he's doing it on an i5. And so I, I said to him, you know what you could do is just upload all the WAV files to a droplet and just let it just burn through that with the high CPU. They've also got uh, block storage. So if you need to do something like uh, attach additional storage to grow, this is perfect because I set up a NextCloud instance on the $20 a month one because I want a really nice, super fast, lots of storage. And, and I thought, okay, well, I got plenty of storage because if I ever need anything additional, I could attach the block storage and it shows up as a block device to Linux. You want to use ZFS? Go for it. You want to use ButterFS? Have at it. You want to use XFS like I am? Good man. 
or Cal. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code CODERDIGITAL. First you create your account, then you apply the promo code. You get a $10 credit. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code CODERDIGITAL. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. So Swift Playgrounds... Um, are a hell of a thing, and it almost makes me want to use Swift. Now, not quite, but I do I do get a little tempted, and I thought I'd play just a couple of seconds here. Education. But last year, the company took it a step further with the introduction of Swift Playgrounds. Swift Playgrounds is Apple's free iPad app that teaches kids how to code with Swift, which is Apple's programming language. Now, the company's taking it one step further. Oh! Yeah. So they're adding essentially external hardware, little uh, gadgets, robots. With a variety of companies like Lego, Sphero, Mebot, and more that allows you to use Swift Playgrounds to program these toys. So, for example, you could use the Swift Playgrounds app to program a Lego monster. You could also use the app to program flying drones, robots, and even little Sphero Spark robots. This is pretty cool stuff. And, of course, they're doing it all under iOS too, which always makes me uncomfortable when you start seeing software development under iOS because uh, that leads to the end of the Mac platform. But anyways, Swift Playgrounds will soon be able to – It's not real if we deny it. Yeah. We'll soon be able to control robots, drones, and uh, little toys. And it looks so cool, Mike. So can I uh, can I Linux this up a little bit? Please, please, please do because I am thinking this is one of the neatest things I've seen so, today. My brother recently had a birthday, and uh, he is significantly younger than me. He's oh. uh, just turned ten. Happy birthday! I got a little brother about that age too. Yeah, see, I got him a Raspberry Pi kit that came with uh, a bunch of like, let's not say knockoff Arduino stuff, but you know, inspired by, inspired by. And he, he's been in the, his school has, we've mentioned it a few times, the code.org club at school where they do like all the code.org kid challenges and stuff. He loves this thing. This kind of like, kind of almost like pseudo makery, you know, physical manipulation mm-hmm. of hardware. You with change software. something in software and you see, di- you right. see something happening. Like a light world. light up yep. or like the Arduino thing. Can, yep. I mean, the, yep. the Raspberry yep. Pi thing does like lights yep. and patterns. I, the kid is, loves it, and and you know what, I can't. I think this is actually great, right? Because this has to really, um, hopefully, inspire passion and creativity in a lot of these uh, young folks. And you know, they all have iPads. I mean, as much as I don't think iOS is really the right platform to be doing this kind of quote unquote work, um, lots of kids have iPads that were like hand me downs or for sure, whatever. Yeah, I um, actually, I actually think it's perfect. Um, because at this age and at this stage, you don't really need to worry so much about, I don't want them to be locked into a platform. I don't want them to have the Apple logo seared into their brain. And so they'll only buy Apple devices for the rest of their life. What you really want is you want children to get uh, some sort of enjoyment and reward from engaging a creative inspiration. And so when you have these devices around already, or you have the parrot drones or those little toys the little, um, yeah, the little Arriba little Lego, like little ball. robot toys yeah. and whatnot. Like this stuff's and actually the other thing that we haven't mentioned, but it's kind of cool, man. In fact, it might be the coolest is they're working with a lot of different musical instruments, so you can you can actually have the the instruments play music based on what you do in Swift Playgrounds, which that sounds 
that sounds really cool. And so just getting kids engaged and being um, like sort of awakening that part of their brain to want to tinker and manipulate things is really what you're encouraging with this. And you're not I don't believe you're encouraging vendor lock in. You're not you're not encouraging uh, like some sort of iOS ecosystem um, continuation. What you're really doing is just encouraging kids to tinker. And as they get older, that'll take many different forms. Right. And it's not like, you know, I mean, the kids 10, right? Or even even any of these young kids, they're not going to get locked in. You know, technology changes so fast. By the time they're of an age to be in a professional market, yeah. Yeah. we'll probably all be coding with yeah. laser beams. Yeah. I, I, I remember, you know, HyperCard was something that as a young kid to me was remarkable because I had played around with QBasic and I had messed around with uh, some basic, basic development stuff. And when I came into HyperCard, I was able to accomplish what it was that I had in my mind as something I wanted to create. And the reward to that, to to just starting to create a stack of cards and create an application out of that stack of cards, meant that I didn't spend my time figuring out how to write, how to write HyperCard. I just started using it. And I, I created a basic like database-like application that I could use for inventory as a kid. <laughs> and I thought that was remarkable. And it showed me that I could do something on the computer and have it create something new that didn't exist before. And that's that was the important piece. June 5th. Don't you think it's interesting this is coming out before WWDC? So the yeah, these are these are the smaller things that they didn't want to give time to in the keynotes. But they have in the past. I mean, we've watched race cars uh race around at a WWDC before, essentially this kind of thing. Yeah. It's interesting that they're hmm, maybe that's telling in itself. So that's the playgrounds. I thought that was kind of funny. Um, and something that maybe would eventually make its way into my family. Like I could see my Ooh. kids, I could see my kids getting into that and it could be what's great about it. Um, and then we'll move on. But what's great about it is it would be something I would genuinely enjoy. So I would be fully engaged with my kids in that process where I'm having fun and they're having fun. And that's the kind of thing that creates genuine moments with your kids. When, you know, when you're just there punching the clock and you're just there so the kids can have fun, they have a good time, but it doesn't create that magic moment. But when you are helping move that drone or make the music with the kids and helping them figure it out, it creates a more unique magic experience between you and your kids. And so I could totally see it working its way into our life just because I'd love to have more of those moments. And down the road, we'll do more sophisticated projects and we'll bust out Arduinos and Dylan already has a Raspberry Pi and a laptop. But, you know, we will do more projects like that, too. And maybe we'll even dabble in Swift GTK, which uh, I found this week and decided to put in the show notes for you. So I know I'm springing this on you, but it's a wrapper around GTK 3X that's, uh, well, Mm. it's largely (laughs) auto-generated. Uh, from a little uh, object introspection, so what could go wrong? Uh, the wrapper around GTK3 is just auto-generated, and the project tries to make GTK more swifty than just a plain C-language interface. Okay, so someone wants this? I want this. You don't want this? How do you not want this? Why How do you, do you want this? What? Are you kidding? Are you kidding? No. <laughs> 
I don't. Could, I, 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 I can't even articulate why you wouldn't want this. I can. Art- so in my mind, in my mind, uh, if Swift say gets into well, it's already in. It's already a very popular language. So it, it, once something reaches a certain level of popularity, it tends to attain a, an amount of momentum that makes it stay relevant for years. And I don't think Swift is going anywhere anytime soon. So this I'm aware seems, of that. So this to me seems like the obvious next step. This seems to me like something that would be – it's like a, a – a, it would be a hole. It would be missing if we didn't have a way to do this. And this is early days stuff here. But this to me like just seems super critical. I don't know. I, I guess I have a I, – So do you – I mean do you think more GTK apps will get written because of the Swift GTK wrapper? Yeah. Well, yeah. 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 Basically. I hope, I hope, and I, and I, and as you know, and I, and that could take that could take many different forms. It, I'm not, I'm not even necessarily talking about mainstream user applications that are written in Swift and have a GTK interface. Like I don't, I, I'm not delusional. I don't think that's going to happen. But what I do see is, hey, here's a handy tool that we've written that interfaces with the server side component of our application. And so, um, you know, maybe I'm. Uh, Maybe I'm Netflix and I, I'm using Swift on the server and there is a GUI that we have written to interact with that server that runs on the Mac desktop, that runs on iOS devices. Well, wouldn't it be amazing if it could also work on the Linux systems that all of the sysadmins are running at Netflix? Like, wouldn't that be great? So I'm not talking necessarily like the next big app, but I'm talking all of those dark matter developers that are creating tools. I'm talking people that want to have internal uh, applications for their own team to manage things that are running on a on a on a Ubuntu box on a VPS like that stuff seems like a slam dunk for this. Hmm. Don't you think it's more likely that it will be a gateway for, uh, of Linux users towards the Mac and Apple platform then? Meaning like this is how you get your first taste of writing desktop Swift applications. But then eventually you want the real thing, right? You move up from your marijuana to your heroin. I mean, something you know about. Huh. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, yeah, dude. I'm super strung out on the. On, I got him, Jeff. I wish I knew a slang for heroin. I would use it right now. I'm super strung out on insert slang term here. Um, the big H. Yeah, I'm. I'm such a heroin user Arms that I, I can't even come up with a slang. There must be. Is it H? Is that a slang term for H? H really? Arms of the angel. Yeah, there's there's a whole pile. <laughs> I like that you know him, and I'm supposedly the heroin user. Uh, so. I guess um, if you were just to ask me that question a few years ago, like say somehow Swift came out five years ago and this was all happening right now, I'd be like, that's the dumbest thing you've ever said. But now that you ask me in a world where you can run Docker containers on Mac OS, you can run Docker on Windows, you can run Ubuntu, Fedora, and SUSE on Windows, um, I, do, I do feel like there are more and more cuts – that are making it easier to switch from Linux to Mac or Windows, which is super strange. I uh, I, I was playing around with Kitematic, you know, this week. Okay, sure. Have, have you played around with Kitematic? Have we talked about Kitematic? I've heard of it, but I've not actually used it. Oh, oh. Am I missing out? Oh, oh, Mike. Oh, oh, Mike. Oh, Mike. you got to go to kitematic.com, K-I-T-E-matic.com. And uh, it is the super easiest, coolest, nicest way to just grab something off Docker Hub and spin up a Docker container on Mac, on Windows, and now I'm messing around with on Linux. And it's it's nice. It is it is really nice. And so you have things like this 
that make running traditional open source applications crazy easy on proprietary desktops. Right. You have the compatibility Windows subsystem that Microsoft's created. You have the fact that the Mac has Bash and Brew and all these tools. I think maybe I think I think I think that's my long way of saying I think you're right. It does sort of make it easy to slide further into proprietary um, desktops and and uh, lock in. But I don't I I don't I just it seems like the general technology momentum and trend is towards more open and Linux. More well, I, th- I think, yeah, I mean, I think if I had to kind of play this trend out in three years, right, it's there, we're going to all be using very similar open source tools. In fact, I think that's kind of a dumb statement because we already are. Yeah, that's true. By um, the way, before and, I wait, just to, just keep hold yeah. your thought. Don't lose it. I just want to real quick follow up on Kitematic. If you're using Docker on the Mac, it integrates natively with Kitematic, which is super nice. Uh, so if you do end up using Docker on the Mac or on Windows, definitely check it out because in your little system set, like in the system tray or in the Mac menu bar, you can now just launch Kitematic to, mon- to manage Docker instead of having to use the command line or anything. It's just nuts. It's nuts. So anyways, kitemac.com. Sorry, I just wanted to plug that because the chat room had a question. Go ahead, Mike. Sorry to interrupt. I'm sorry. No, and this is actually made by Docker, which is interesting. Yep, yep. Um, no, I mean, it, it does seem like, I mean, look at the Linux subsystem on Windows, right? It seems like the open source development models have kind of one. I agree. Yeah, Especially go, I mean, if it's it, something you want to have wide community adoption, right? Right. Like, you know, you know, I recently purchased a Mac because I do that every three weeks. And um, what's interesting is how there is virtually no difference between my workflow on Mac versus Ubuntu. Oh, really? It, it's virtually the same. Hmm. I guess I kind of agree, especially if you set up a few things like I've been I've messed around with brew and a drop down terminal uh, and I got pretty close. I did get pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. And and if you're using Chrome to access most of your online applications and then you're SSHing into remote servers. Yeah, I guess you're you're right in in really broad strokes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, most of my applications, um, you know, are, you know, like Slack is an electron app, right? Um, Almost everything else is running in Chrome. And my current code editor is Visual Studio Code, which, again, is an Electron app and runs on both. Yeah, I actually have been – I've been sort of changing my perspective on um, Electron applications. I was sort of – you know, you and I have talked a lot about how native applications perform better. They feel better. Uh, I just – you know, all these – all that stuff, you know. Like, you know, I've had this conversation a lot on this show. Hundreds of times, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I was all pretty doubled down on my position. Um, then I listened to episode six of uh, Ask Noah where uh, Martin Wimpress joined. And um, he makes a really good case for why Electron is a really good thing for the Linux desktop. So uh, Ask Noah episode six live from Linux Fest Northwest. You know, he lays it out there and I thought about a lot about it. And the the just the the flexibility I get from having I have a few really great go to apps, Slack, uh, Simple Note, um, Naleus, Mail and um, a couple others that I'm forgetting that are Electron apps that 
the, the nice thing is, is I always have a system with a pretty good amount of RAM, and I can move those across operating systems, across installs, and they're consistent, and they work well, and they're easy enough for developers to target that the platforms I choose to use are likely going to get an application. And so that has been a big shift for me, is the availability of software that Electron brings. So when I look at things like Swift GTK, it's sort of that same mindset. Like, it's, it's not Electron, obviously, because these would be native applications, but it's sort of widening the target scope for developers. So if you're writing Swift, now GTK could be a target. Just like if you're a gamer and your engine is Unity, now the Linux desktop can be a target. Or if you're making an Electron app, Mac, Windows, and Linux can be a target. Now if you're writing a Swift application, GTK can be a target. And I don't know, I think it's noteworthy. No? Okay. No? no? Okay. All right. Okay. I mean, I, I just see – I mean, you mentioned Electron. I see Electron as the answer to that problem, though. Right? Yeah. Not – Yeah. You know. I agree. Not so, yeah. I mean, Vala is a really interesting language, and there's not too much uh, – I mean, there's Geary, but there's not a whole ton of wide Not a lot of action unless you're over on the elementary OS project. Right. Hey, did you see that they launched their uh, pay-what-you-want app store on elementary OS? I did. I haven't seen any figures, though. I was hoping they'd have – Yeah. 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 I mean, that's got to be a tough thing, but good on them. I mean, they've been doing some good work over there, but uh, I, I wonder how that'll do. I would love to see that do well, but then you want it across the entire Linux desktop. And we'll pay for what, pay what you want. Is that good enough? Because then it's hard to project a revenue, which is hard then to know how many people to hire. It's a complicated subject, but maybe we'll watch it and we'll report more when we find out. Um, just before we move on, just a quick point out. We're not going to go through the whole thing, but I wanted to get a little attention, so that way if the audience wanted to follow up on it later, they could. The developer of Notepad++ was interviewed. Now, if you're going to be using Windows, Notepad++ is a hell of a tool to use. And so they asked a couple of questions that I thought were interesting. One of the, one of the questions was, uh, what's your development environment right now? And uh, the Notepad++, Notepad++ author said, Visual Studio 2013, under Windows 10, and... Notepad++ itself, because he codes Notepad++ in Notepad++. <laughs> His first uh, development environment was um, Visual Studio 6 under Windows XP. And uh, you know what? He says, I miss a good source code editor from back then. And then there's the question that I thought you and I could discuss. Where do you see the open source software community headed? And his answer was this. A few years ago, open source was still a la mode. Now, it's almost a standard way, which you and I were just talking about. Through the proprietary software, though proprietary software won't disappear, more and more softwares will take the open source option. The open source software community will be much larger in the future and much more accessible, for sure. Now, what do you think of this, Mike, as somebody who maybe wanted to make an application, sell it on the market... If it's something you wanted to have wide adoption, would you be compelled to open source it? Would you say the open source model has essentially, would you agree? It's one, proprietary software is not going away, but you want the community to be large and you want people to be able to access it in the future. Seems like you have to go open source. Well, certainly if I was doing something that was, you know, a framework or a library or some sort of developer tool, I think you have to go open source right now. There's no, there's no choice. Do it now. In terms of a consumer-facing like application that's just you know an executable that someone runs, I'd probably keep that proprietary, right? And why? Because you don't want people just to be able to build it on their system for free. Basically, yeah. 
I think that would be the reason. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, it was a good interview, and I those are the ones that jumped jumped out at me. Um, now, having said that, I you know there are certain things though I don't think proprietary will work for anymore, right? Um, like I'm not sure I would pay for another year of editors anymore, right? Because Visual Studio Code is free and good enough. I, 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 I would say it's great. Um, yeah. You know, we talked last week, and I, I took all of them for a spin. I got Sublime Text 3, I got Visual Studio Code, and I loaded up Atom, all of the ones I said I was going to try out. Sublime Text 3 is currently pulling ahead. Atom, I give the nod to having polished, and they just recently uh, introduced native GitHub integration, which is sort of what piqued my interest. Visual Studio fucking code, dude. Look at these sons of bitches go. So first of all, light, it's got your standard text file config. You know, whip de doo I'm, I'm sick of it, but it's fine. It's, it's very sublime text of them. Adam has the best graphical management. I think Adam has the best interface of all of them. But Visual Studio Code has some serious community plugins available to it. Yes. I was very impressed. I think they have the best out of all of them that I tried – and it gives me the ability to do stuff that I can't do in the other editors. Uh, I was I, – um, and I also – somebody wrote in a tip and told us how you can close the sidebar. Did you see that? I, I can't remember what it was. but <laughs> I did. I did. I saw that. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, that came fact, I, just, I just got a RuboCop running in Visual Studio Code, which is a Ruby linter. Um, it's actually now more powerful than RubyMine. I don't think – I haven't opened RubyMine in maybe two weeks. <laughs> yeah, so you agree with me that it seems to have some of the best plugins, like some of the best, I don't know what they're called exactly. I guess they're called extensions in Visual extensions Studio Code. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think this is probably the, I mean, it's currently my editor of choice, obviously, you know, but that could, that could change. Yeah. You but know, I, think, I would say, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I think uh, um, it's, it's probably going to have the best uh, long-term support too. So if for some, for a guy like yourself, that uh, is just sort of switched over to Linux in the last you know year and a half and change, and you've been making a transition for a while. This is one of those tools where I feel like as you switch to Linux, you can start to adopt, and it's going to be around for years. Yeah, and it's on every platform. Yep, which which is actually pretty good, and yeah. it has a pretty good Vim mode. So I yeah, I've been pretty yeah pretty happy with that. I do wonder though, what does this mean for folks like JetBrains, right, who are trying to sell you IDEs on a yearly license? I think they'll be okay. It doesn't. I don't think it replaces that though. Uh, it is for me. I mean, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, also, just recently announced was a snap package for the son of a gun, so you can get Visual Studio Code as a snap. Yeah, which which is nice. That, what that essentially means is just about any damn Linux distro, even if you for some reason got really butt hurt about Ubuntu and moved on but stuck with Linux, you can still get Visual Studio Code. That's what it really means. And that's nice. Um, I would like to see Microsoft update their website to give us like download links to the Snap package and whatnot. But it is in the Snap store if you want to check it out. So yeah, I kicked after our, after our discussion. Um, I still have Atom installed too. I like it a lot. I think right now if I was going to switch from Sublime Text – for what I do, I think I would switch to Atom. Well, you're doing a lot on GitHub, right? Yeah, and and so so that's a, becoming a bigger and bigger part. And I also like uh, GitHub's uh, – I forget. Maybe it's just called GitHub Markdown, I think. 
Is that what yeah, just what they call some, it? It's it's their yeah. modification of they got they got some good they got some good extensions that supports that too. So I think for me, Adam might end up being the best, but I was really impressed by Visual Studio Code. And of course Sublime Text 3 wins in terms of performance and load time and all that stuff. So I like that quite a bit as well. Let me tell you about something else I like. It's a great resource, Scale Your Code. Go to scaleyourcode.com and learn from successful developers. Get access to interviews, inside looks, and tutorials. You just subscribe to their mailing list, and it's a low-flow mailing list, so the uh, value here is pretty high. You get about two to three emails a month, but what's great is you get access to their interviews. Good stuff, and you can unsubscribe at any time. It's nice. ScaleYourCode.com. You go there and you sign up. I was looking at this interview with Jeremy Edberg. Uh, he was the first paid employee at Reddit. So he's got some he's got some stories. He's also the site reliability engineer at Netflix. So this is really how Netflix handles 36% of the US's internet traffic <laughs> and how Reddit handles 160 million users. Now, obviously this is a little bit beyond Jupiter Broadcasting scope. Just a tad. But it's good to take this information in and bake it into our approach. And you can do that too. Go to scaleyourcode.com. Sign up, get access to these interviews, and enjoy. You could marathon this stuff between Coda radios. I mean, why not? It's all good stuff. ScaleYourCode.com. Go there, sign up, and a big thank you to Scale Your Code for sponsoring the Coda Radio program. So let's do a little pre-WWDC hoopla. We're not going to sit here and make a bunch of predictions and look like jerks because it's just days away, and we would, we would really look like tools, but... We can talk about a couple of things. That This is another story that traditionally would have been in the first 10, 15 minutes of WWDC where Tim Cook's up on stage and they got all the charts and the graphs. And this is normally one of the things I like to throw up there is how much Apple has paid to developers. But instead, we're getting it leaked early. Apple says they have paid out over – well, I guess actually the correct term would be they have earned. I don't know what that exactly equates to paid out. They have earned over $70 billion. I'm going to say it again because it might sound like I said that wrong. $70 billion, billion, $70 billion, guys, $70 billion from the App Store, from the App Store, $70 billion from those stupid apps in the App Store, from fart apps, from flashlight apps, to Clash of Titans, all the way up to uh, GitHub apps. I mean, 70 freaking billion. And this market didn't even exist about 10 years ago. I know you're going to shit on this, Mike. I know you're going to shit on this. I know you're going to say, well, yeah, it goes to the top X amount of developers. 70% is in the last 12 months. The millionaires and the billionaires. Sorry, what? Apple said that the downloads have grown over 70% in the last 12 months. I mean, that's, I mean, there's, there is, these are real numbers. $70 billion, 70% increase in downloads of apps in the last 12 months. That's, um, I don't know. I mean, to me, holy shit. I guess is all I have to say. $70 billion? I don't know why that, it just is huge. Do you, now, commence your shitting, sir. Well, as my man Bernie would say, right, isn't it something like 90% of the in- income on the app store goes to the top 10% of apps, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, it, I don't I don't think that's super impressive. Yeah, I okay. How here's, much of that is Clash of Clans? Here's the, well, or actually um, Pokemon Go and, and Super Mario Run. That's true. That's really where it goes to. 
Yeah. However, it's still pretty remarkable. It is. It is still pretty remarkable. Um, I, I also I want to just do a little pre hoopla, just a little pre hoopla, just to sort of uh, get this out of the way. I don't know if you've ever seen um, um, some of the uh, you know like some of the rumors that are floating around. I'm sure you must follow it tangentially, but the one that seems to be getting more and more momentum is the Siri in a tube, which uh, mm. is going to compete with the Echo and the Google Home. Siri in a tube. Yeah. I mean, this feels like exactly the sort of thing that Apple's not good at, right? Okay. All right. Now, obviously, obviously, that's obvious. So let's take that aside for a second and just what if, okay, yes, you are right. However, you know what they are good at? Tell me. The App Store. And they are also good at what happens every time Apple releases a new device, app sales go way the F up. App sales go way the F up when a new device True. comes out. If they True. could work this in somehow to that cycle, if they could sell if they could sell apps on the App Store that worked on your Siri in a tube, then there's a real po- – there, there, there is at least a mini goldmine here for developers. No? Yeah, that's, that's a pretty ambitious statement. Um, I feel like I, I so, so no one has figured out how to monetize software on exactly these exactly. Right? In fact, did you hear the did you hear the report that potentially Amazon is considering just paying some of the top skill developers directly themselves? Yeah, which just like Microsoft tried to do a Windows Phone, right? Yeah, yeah, kind of grease the wheels. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. Which is smart if you've got the money to spend. But what if they could figure out a way? To make it kind of like how you buy an app on the App Store and they often have an Apple Watch part. So like one of the reasons you might buy the pro version of an app is because it has an Apple Watch component and now it has a Siri in the tube component. Like there could be like this could be the thing that starts like these little extra things like, okay, so imagine imagine this. You've got a to do app. It's a really nice to do app. And you can get it for free for basic, like, reminder and to-do functionality. But if you buy the pro version for $4.99 or maybe even $7.99, then you get an Apple Watch app. Then you get sync with the Mac desktop client or a web interface. And you get the Siri in the tube reminders capability. So you can bark at Siri in the tube. And it automatically will create a to-do entry or a reminder for you. And these are things that people in the Apple ecosystem would pay for. So you could charge like seven ninety nine right. for an app that has the watch component, the Mac component, the Siri and the tube component. Are you following me? Like it could be a way to, to start monetizing these apps in the App Store in a way that you can't do normally because people don't want to pay for anything. But once you've bought I mean, into a watch and a tube and a MacBook, all of a sudden seven ninety nine to have all these things talk to each other feels like a deal. I mean, it does sound like a lot of work for seven ninety nine. I want to throw out. Yeah, it's got to be huge scale, right? Right. I mean, so so you're you're still in the world of you need really really high volume. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. You know, we've talked a lot about the sustainability or lack thereof of the kind of mobile development market. And I, I'm really, I'm really not sure if these like Google Assistant, uh, Alexa, any of these kind of, I guess Siri competitors. Not only do they not help the problem, I almost feel like in a way they make it worse because they make no real attempt at any sort of uh, monetization strategy. Mm. 
Well, how do you monetize that? The only way I can figure you monetize it if you're Domino's, your Uber, you know, you got right, these other making money. Yeah, right. Yeah, if you're just creating a skill, and I'm just, I just don't see it. There's not even, there's not even a way to pay for a skill right now in the Amazon app. There's no, none no, that I'm aware. Of. There's no, no. There's, I, I've never. There's no option for me to pay ninety nine cents for a skill on my Echo. That doesn't exist. It's not a thing. But Apple might integrate in the App Store infrastructure, and it might just be another endpoint. Like you can make a, you know, an iPad app, a Mac app, a Watch app. Now you make a Siri and a Tube app. Like, I, it seems like it might be a more direct path to monetization. Um, and then you, you See, know, you how, move, how is it more direct? See, that's I guess where you're losing me. It, it, how is it more? Because they have the app store already, and people are already paying for apps, and so this is not, just this is just one paying. more thing that they're adding support for. So now, when you buy the To Do app, you, you know you can charge an extra dollar if you have a watch and a, and a tube app that goes with yeah, it. But, you know, it's not that the average developer on the app store isn't making enough money; it's that the average developer on the app store is actually losing money. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, sure, for the folks who are already making money. The Dominoes, the Spotify's, those kind of guys. Obviously, first of all, if Apple even lets Spotify on the Siri tube, right? That would be interesting. Um, yeah, I could see. You know, this is in their view into their services, and they make money on their services. But you know, looking at it from kind of the everyman perspective, the every developer, mm-hmm. it has never been more challenging to make a living on the App Store. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even though they've just paid out seventy billion, ironically. Right. It's sort of like it's never been harder to be the middle class, even though the people at the highest end, the 1%, are making more money than ever. It's literally the same phenomenon, right, where, where the, the winners are winning much more than they ever did before. Yeah. Yeah. And yes. There are, there's more people maybe not losing, but certainly not doing okay, right? Yeah. Really. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I uh, I actually um, – I'm going to take the dissenting opinion though and I'm going to say I, I hope to hell that they do release a Siri and a Tube. Um, okay. I, I would be compelled would to – would you buy it? Yes, I would. And, and really? just because for me personally, out of all of the virtual assistants, I have Google Assistant, I have Echo and I have Siri. For the day-to-day things I use Siri for, like so when I – I'll say things to Siri like, Siri, what will the date be in two weeks? And she can answer that. The other assistants cannot answer that. Now, that is a very common problem for me. And, and, and setting reminders based on location is also something I use extremely, extremely often. Siri is the best at that. There's other little things that I find it to be extremely useful for, like, um, uh, you know, just just asking general questions that it's fine. When it, where, 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 where it's weak at is with hardware integration, and that's why I have echoes everywhere. And so well, I'd be I'd be at least willing to consider it. Um, and I think they'd have the best. I think they would have the best path for developers to monetize targeting those kinds of those kinds of things. We'll see. The thing that gives it some credence that's actually going to happen, and why I'm willing to give it this much discussion, because normally rumors I, I don't think are worth discussing, is that today um, Amazon added support for iCloud calendars on the Echo. Which is right. That's going to be one of the main things that the Siri tube is going to have is integration with iCloud. So of course right. they're going to try to fill in this this hole on the Echo as existing Echo devices. This is this is a stopgap. So you're going to have access to your iCloud calendars now if you have them on. Uh, <laughs> if you use iCloud for your calendars, you can use your Echo now to to read it, just like the Siri in a tube will, of course. So I guess you and I will probably be sitting back, maybe having a private conversation about WWDC, and then we'll just sort of round up what, what seems to be the most relevant to developers in uh, 260. 
Yeah, I mean, there's going to be some, you know, uh, I'm hearing the one rumor maybe before we kind of wrap this up that mm. I would want to jump into is some new refactoring tools in Xcode. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. No, you have never had the joy of working in Xcode. Just super briefly, nothing serious, yeah. Yeah. If you're going to use a big IDE, like a JetBrains IDE or yeah. Visual Studio or Xcode, yeah. one of the reasons you're probably making that choice rather than like a Visual Studio Code or a Vim is because you want powerful refactoring tools, right? Sure, like that's, okay. yeah. that is what those, um, that's what those things are for. I mean, that's... that's There's other do. nice things I could imagine, but yeah. Yeah. But Xcode traditionally has never had that functionality. Um, it's it's even even the most recent version, uh, eight whatever, has only had like pretty rudimentary. I mean, if you've ever used IntelliJ from JetBrains, the refactoring tools in Xcode look very basic to you. Rumor has it, and I you know, you take this with a grain of salt, right? This is just people like tweeting at me and emailing me, is that Xcode nine, which is going to come out, is going to have some pretty intense refactoring tools for Swift. Oh, what do you think of that? Um, if that's true, that would be great. Yeah. Right? I mean, really. I, I I often thought that Xcode, that was one of the big things was missing, right? Linting tools, better refactoring tools. And to, to Apple's credit, Xcode 8 is certainly a lot, and even Xcode 7 is a lot better than Xcode 6. Um, for instance, they catch um, like bad style and possible errors as comments or uh, warnings now. But they still don't have that powerful like select an area and refactor based on, you know, there's all kinds of stuff you can do in IntelliJ. So it'd be great to see that. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm looking at the menu right now. And I'm like, okay, yeah, there's just too many things to try to go into. You know, I would imagine, uh, you know, it's not beyond Apple to just sort of look at what the other guys are doing and go, let's Sherlock that. Let's go ahead and Sherlock that. Well, especially because IntelliJ now has a Swift ID called app code, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be shocked if there was a little bit of, Well, Mr. Dominic, I blame you. I completely blame you for getting me into uh, Kitematic and uh, playing around with uh, Docker on alternative platforms. So, uh, and it's it's essentially because I can't stay away. I can't stay away. Uh, you're always talking about it. Uh, you seem to be uh, making making a lot of hay over there. So uh, check out if you haven't seen yet Mike's videos. He's got some uh, oh. posted on Docker. Where would they go to see those videos, Mike? I just go to the newly designed Buccaneer.io. Oh! Oh, shoot. Good job, son. Of course, you can follow him, too, at Dumanuku, or you can follow me at Chris Elias or the network at Jupiter Signal. There we go. A little bit of business. You know, uh, also, I want to plug one thing that's just so cool. It's just for you guys to go check out. I'm not asking anything. Just go check out github.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. And if you want to mess around with the caster soundboard, it is so awesome. Some of the stuff, it's just, it's amazing how fast the development pace has taken off. And, um... It's now a completely usable, a completely usable tool. It's just, it's just the greatest. We're also looking for support uh, and maybe a little help with uh, JBot, so you can dig around and maybe uh, talk to Rikai. Go over to uh, irc.geekshed.net in your favorite IRC client and join. Uh, I think it's JB Dev. I think that's still active, but you can get, you can also find Mr. Rikai in Jupiter Broadcasting Chat and talk to him about it because uh, JBot could use some love too. But our, 
Our community has been so awesome with the visualizer we've been using for some of our new shows like User Air and Linux Action News and with Caster Soundboard. I mean, I'm seeing, I'm seeing some seriously awesome software get created at a remarkable rate right in front of my face, stuff that is seriously production grade. It's so cool to see it. And you can get a little taste of it at uh, github.com slash Broadcasting, or you can find our uh, IRC bot, which we could use a little love with at github.com slash rekai slash showbot. It's R-I-K-A-I. There you go. We have real we have people out there in the community that have been doing some really awesome stuff and not just like code, but also documentation. Like it's yeah. it's super legit. You know, but they, they rejected my Jar Jar feature request for JBot. Which yeah, is... there have actually if you uh, um, the Mike tentacles run deep. If you look at uh, some of the stuff in Caster Soundboard, there's specific there's like a. I'm noticing that. I'm looking there at was right a, I was trying to remember. There's like a screenshot. There's like specifically like a screenshot where there's like references to Jar Jar and all kinds of stuff in there. So Jar Jar has made his way into the caster soundboard development. You worry not, sir. You worry not. It's, it's in there. Love thank it. you. And thank you for that, by the way. Thank you so much for having Jar Jar Binks in there. I, I really appreciate it. All right. You know, a little bit of feedback on the new Linux news show. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think you need Jar Jar. Yeah, you know, everybody says that, of course. That's the number, obviously, as you would expect, the number one piece of feedback that we get. More Jar Jar. Obviously, everybody more Jar Jar, more fun. <laughs> LinuxActionNews.com if you want to see that. All right, Mr. Dominic. So you want to do next Thursday again? We're going to keep it on a Thursday? Let's do next Thursday if I can stay awake. All right. So go over to JupiterBroadcasting.com slash calendar to get that converted in your local time. And uh, join us live at JBLive.tv. And if you'd like to engage in the show after we're live, you know, like all of the other times, coderadio.reddit.com or jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact to send us your feedback. coderadio.reddit.com is a great bet if you want to get my attention because I almost check it almost every single, like, almost every, I'm going to say like 90% of the time. 90% of the time before the show. So it's a pretty good way to get my attention. Okay, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Coder Radio. And we'll see you right back here next Thursday. 